verses 1 through 10. Beginning in verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, and let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we now open your holy, inerrant, and inspired word, we ask that you would give us your grace. We ask that you would give us a right understanding as we hear the word of truth and give us hearts to understand it rightly and give us your grace that it would be applied to us, that we would believe rightly, that our way of thinking would be according to the word of truth, and that our life would be one of walking in the steps of the Savior. These things we pray in his name. Amen. I'm sure many of you heard that statement, stay in your lane. i got to stay in my lane, amen? That's, uh, that's the beauty of all that. It's so fun to know that the Lord is sovereignly in control of our meetings each and every week, and He's in control of our lives each and every minute, every second. And so it is such a, a beautiful thing as we open our Bibles together this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'd like to lay some groundwork for us this morning. One of the solemn charges given to every godly elder, every godly elder, let me, let me just make sure we clarify that every godly elder from the sacred pages of Holy Writ is to faithfully expound all the counsel of God unto his flock. All the counsel of God unto his flock. This morning, our religious affections, of course, are drawn just for a moment to the faithful statements that Paul makes over in Acts chapter 20. Now, we went through the book of Acts some time ago, but we remember these statements, these glorious statements. And the Holy Ghost is really leading him there, if you will, to reveal his mind and his identity as a good Bible-believing preaching pastor to other preaching pastors. Now, of course, we can say this can apply certainly to every Christian, but Paul specifically in Acts chapter 20 is talking to other preaching pastors. 
And this is what he says in two verses. In verse number 20, he says to the Ephesian elders, I kept nothing back that was profitable unto you, but I've showed you and taught you publicly from house to house. And so what Paul is saying there, and he says the same thing, just in a little different phrasing, if you will, in verse 27. But he says to the brothers, I have not shunned teaching you things that are profitable for you. And then he says this in verse 27. He says this, Wherefore, I take you record this day that I am peer of the blood of all men. You remember him making that glorious statement. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So you ask yourself, what is all the counsel of God? I'm glad you asked this morning because that's what I do. That word counsel literally that is used there denotes a deliberation. And then the result of that deliberation. It's a stunning thing. Being manifested in decisions. Amen? In, in decrees and all of these things. The decision of the will, judgment, and pronouncement. In other words, all the counsel of God, brethren, listen, is his reasoned, deliberated, wise, and holy will on whatever subject, topic, whatever it is that, we, that he addresses in holy writ. That's all the counsel of God. Everything that he has chosen to reveal to us in his mind, from his infinite mind. We can all quote the verse. All scripture is given by what? Inspiration and is what? Profitable. That's what Paul is doing there. He's expanding what is profitable to the church. What is profitable to the brethren that he was doing. He was indeed expounding to them all the counsel of God. This is what Brother Paul does. You remember last week when we were together in our text, Paul was, of course, teaching them and speaking to them about what? About salvation, about the security that they have in the Lord Jesus, whether they're alive or whether they have, have passed on, whether their body's in the grave. This morning, the text is absolutely amazing because he goes from that and he simply follows in chronological order. That we spoke of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ last week. Here he just simply speaks of the next thing that comes in order. And that is the dreaded day of the Lord. This is what he's doing. So he's preaching salvation. He's preaching security of the believer. Whether you're dead or alive. And then he says, here's what's going to happen and unfold next. And so naturally he opens that up and comes along. He's warning them and he's telling them about what's coming. And you ask, well, what's coming? Well, again, as I said, what's coming is what he's going to speak to us about today, and that is the day of the Lord. God's judgment is coming. And brethren, again, this is something that Paul was deeply concerned about. So he's teaching all the counsel of God concerning salvation. He's teaching all the counsel of God concerning his judgment. You know what people do today. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. God loves you. There's a new church in town that's running ads. And he says, we're all the beloved. No, no, we're not. We are not all the beloved. The beloved are Christians. The beloved are those whom God has saved, who he sealed, who he's drawn onto himself. Don't lie. But that's what's happened today. All the counsel of God is not being preached. All we hear is God loves you. God loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. That's all you hear. No, Paul here is expanding that. He's counseling and teaching the whole counsel of God. And that really, brethren, is what we need to hear, all of us. All the counsel of God. Because it does a lot of things for us when we hear the, all the counsel of God. You know what it does? It prepares you and I, again, for what's coming. It prepares you and I for living our daily lives as Christians in the kind of world that we live in. 
Amen. This is really what the elder is supposed to be doing. The pastor is supposed to be doing that so that when you come and hear the sermons, when you come and hear the word of God preached, the Holy Spirit then sinks that down into your heart and then you can live that out when you leave. This is, again, one of the solemn charges that we have been given and one that Paul, of course, is going to teach us this morning. This godly preacher, he indeed shows us a great contrast. And it's always important, isn't it? He's going to show us the great contrast of the effects that the day of the Lord has on both the believers, the elect, and those who are lost. And we see this in the text. And one must always carefully read the text, and you must carefully understand the distinction that he makes. And I want you to see this before we get started. Look there, the terms they and them. Look at verse number three. Look what he says there in verse number three. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Them, they, them. He's pointing that way. He's not talking about himself. He's not talking about the elect. He's talking about those who are outside of Christ, those who are not saved. Look what's going to happen to those who are not saved. They're going to say peace and safety. Look at verse 7. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they be drunk, that are drunken be drunken in the night. Again, Paul is saying, not Christians, them, somebody else. He's making a distinction there. Look how he then draws himself into the distinction. And he does it all through the text. Look at what the terminology he uses. Look at we and us. Look there, if you would, at verse number 5 and 6. Just He does it all through the text. But look at verse number 5. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So again, Paul's making this distinction between the lost and the saved. And when he does that, you see this great contrast. Again, the effects of Christ's return, the effects of the day of the Lord on the Christian and on the non-Christian alike. And this is what he's laying out for the believers. Now look at verse number one. Paul says to them, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. It's interesting here as we begin our text, we remember that at the end of chapter 4, which we just looked at, Paul was teaching the order of every believing one's catching away. This is what he was doing when the Lord Jesus returns. And again, as I said, keeping with biblical chronological order, he now turns to the day of the Lord, which is the event that does indeed follow the next prophetic, prophetic event following the Lord's second coming. Now again, as we, one of the brothers called me, goes, hey, I noticed that, you know, you never talked about the timing of it, because there is some question about the timing here, depending on your eschatological view. But, but as you look at this, he's just simply in the, in the macro picture, if you will, he's simply moving on to the next chronological thing that happens. And that again is the day of the Lord. And we notice there, of course, brethren, he uses the same language here in this text that the Lord Jesus used concerning this thing. It's an amazing thing. The day of the Lord, many people think the day of the Lord is, is just one day. It's like it's a day. That's not what the day of the Lord is. If you look at it biblically, you will certainly see, and we're going to look at this, the day of the Lord is rather a duration of time. 
which God ordained and the events that occurred within his designated period of time. Look there, if you would, at Acts chapter 1, the same language the Lord Jesus used. I want you to see this again. As he is speaking here concerning the day of the Lord, he says the seasons, the times and the seasons. So again, it's not just something that is going to abruptly just happen. And again, we see this at the very beginning of the book of Acts. Listen to the terminology again that the Lord Jesus uses here. Look at verse number 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons. He tells them right here, which the Father hath put in his own power. Now, again, brethren, as we define that and understand that, Times is simply a duration of time. How long is it going to last, this season? Well, brothers, let me ask you, how long has this season lasted since he said this? We're going on what? Almost 2,000 years. So we're seeing this season of time, the, the, the season of time. And then he says there, what? Uh, the times, then the seasons. Well, within the time, there are events that unfold. And brethren, a lot of events have unfolded in this time in the last 2,000 years. So it isn't just one day. It is indeed a process that the Father is going to use as we see it coming. Boy, brethren, as we understand and see what the Lord is doing, it is a stunning thing. It's been almost 2,000 years. That's the times that Jesus was speaking of. It's the time that Paul is saying there's a season here. There's a times and within that season there are events that God is going to unfold in fact, if we look there back at 1 Thessalonians, you'll see here what Paul does. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verses 1 and 2. We'll finish verse 1 and go into verse number 2 about the seasons, the times, and the seasons. Look what he says there. Well, I've got to get to chapter 5. There it is. He says this, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Look at verse 2. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Well, again, brother, here we have a he, he, this transition to chapter 5. We remember in chapter 4 that he was writing to the brethren. Why? Do you remember what it was? If I could ask you, can you remember why Paul was writing to them last week? He was concerned about their what? Their ignorance concerning the order of things. That's what he was concerned with. Here he says, I don't need to write to you. Because you already know perfectly, again, this teaching, this amazing thing that Paul had taught them uh, when he was there earlier, when he, about a year earlier when he set up the church. That word perfectly means exactly, accurately, completely. Paul says to them, you Thessalonians know perfectly. You know accurately, completely that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. How did they know that? Well, because of Paul's, brethren, listen, this is the thing. Because of Paul's accurate teaching, as he's teaching them and leading them along, as he's teaching them this concept, this belief concerning the day of the Lord, you understand that the day of the Lord is not a New Testament thought. That this day of the Lord comes from the Old Testament. It's a stunning thing when you understand that. I mean, it's rooted there. Joel, Ezekiel, Amos, Zephaniah. In fact, 17 times in the book of Zephaniah, the day of the Lord is referenced. And again, Paul now brings it over here into the New Testament. The day of the Lord, literally, brethren, 
refers to God's unique interventions. And again, whether you're timing what you believe about the, the rapture, the catching away, the Lord's coming, that time, again, there's, there's a discussion amongst good Bible-believing brothers what that timing might be. But irregardless, the day of the Lord is indeed a glorious thing when you consider us. God's unique interventions in the course of the world events that he judges his enemies. You look in the Old Testament, that's what it was all about. In fact, you see there that uh, he was going to bring judgment against many nations, and they called it the day of the Lord. And it had to do with God's judgment, brother. And again, this is what we see in the text over and over in Joel and Ezekiel, Amos, Zephaniah, Malachi, all of it. And it is indeed to accomplish his purpose for history and thereby demonstrate to all of the world that he is sovereign God who definitely brings about his glorious plan as he has indeed spoken it and decreed it to be. And this is what we see. In fact, look here if you would. The other time that that terminology is used in the New Testament, and again, of course, that the Thessalonians didn't have this letter because the, many think, and I think so, the first Thessalonians was the first letter he wrote to the churches, amen? But we have an inspired record of what this is. And look there at 2 Peter chapter 3 with me, with, if you would, for just a moment. The other time that it's used here in the New Testament is right here in 2 Peter chapter 3. And again, depending on your eschatological view and timing, <laughs> um, It'll depend on how you view Second uh, Peter chapter 3, but here we go. Look, if you would, here again at what it says, verse number 8. Look what the Bible says. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that at one day is that the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day, one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And again, brethren, if we had time, the us, any, and all are the elect. The us, any, and all are the brethren. That's what he's talking about. It's not a universal thing that he's saying. If you look carefully, he uses the word beloved in verse number one. You go to First Peter, he's talking to the beloved. He's saying that no, none of the beloved will be lost. None of them. But look what he says. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the beloved will, look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt in the fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in the holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God? wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt in the fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And again, we've been going through the book of Revelation, so we know what that means, if you have the eschatological view that I have. So again, it's mentioned here. What is it? What's mentioned with the day of the Lord? It's always judgment. It's always fire. It's always God going to destroy his enemies. And this is what Paul is telling the brethren. Hey, look, the, the day of the Lord is not going to come to you as a thief in the night. Why? Why should it not come to you and I? Listen, brethren, we're going to see this distinction again in our text, which is quite amazing. Paul accurately, exactly, and precisely expounded the sacred scriptures to the brothers there. And he paid very close attention. And this is the thing that pastors and elders must do, Bible teachers as a whole, to the Lord's details when he reads, when he read it, and when he taught it to them. 
Now, as we know, brethren, a thief, (laughs) a thief is different than a robber. A thief is different than a robber. A thief, if you will, or a robber, he openly takes what he wants by sheer brute uh, force, if you will. A thief steals in secret. That's the difference between a robber and a thief. A thief simply steals in secret. A thief does not openly announce his design. He comes unexpectedly when his victim is totally unprepared in the dead of night and fast asleep. That's what a thief does. That's why Paul uses that illustration. That's why Jesus uses the illustration. Because he's saying that there are some who are not going to be prepared. They're going to be sleeping in the night. They're going to be drunk in the night. And it isn't the Christian. To the Christian, the Lord's coming is not going to be as a thief in the night, brethren. It is not going to be. We do not know the precise timing of it. But you know what? Even here in just a little while, we're going to be gathering around the Lord's table. And why do we gather around the Lord's table, brethren? Again, because we are proclaiming His death till He what? Till He comes. The Christian is watching and waiting and preparing for Him to come. He's not coming as a thief in the night to you and I. Not if you're saved. Not if we follow the dictates of Holy Scripture. Again, brethren, look there. He comes as a thief in the night to the unregenerate, to those who are not saved. Look at verses 3 and 7 again. Look there, First Thessalonians chapter 3. Look what the unregenerate says. Look what the lost says concerning his coming. Look at verse number 3. For when they shall say peace and safety. What a stunning thing when you consider what that means. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Verse 7, for they that sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. There he is again, separating the Christian out. He's saying, that's what, who's going to be caught off guard. They are the ones who the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night to them. Now that peace, that, there's peace and safety. What an amazing, I mean, there's just so many things one could say about that. But that peace refers to inward tranquility of the mind. We are all at ease. We are clearly safe and sound. Safety means not liable to fall, to be firm. And brethren, listen, the unregenerate are in a, under a delusion that they have come to a place of peace. That they can spit in God's face at any time they want, whenever they feel like it. They can do whatever they want, and they're at peace and safety. They have a tranquil mind concerning it. Well, brethren, we have, the Lord has some news, doesn't he? They believe they're safe from any and all danger. And I want you to see again how the Lord Jesus himself describes this coming as a thief in the night. Look at Luke chapter 18. The Lord himself expounded upon this. And again, I understand, we haven't gone into deep eschatological uh, uh, differences and those sorts of things. But again, the day of the Lord has been a period of time that God has brought his judgment. He's intervened in human time and, and space and brought about his glorious plan. And so you look here at Luke chapter 18, and I want you to notice the description that the Lord gives concerning this. And I just want you to know and see the normality of life. It's just going on. It's as normal as can be until destruction comes upon them suddenly. Look at Luke chapter 18. Look there at verse number 26, if you would. 
Look what the Bible, the, the Bible says. Luke chapter 18. Look at verse number 26. The Bible says there, am I in 18? Yeah. It's 17. I think yeah, I wrote the wrong verse down. Yep. Luke chapter, what is it? 17, 26. Let me just look. Yeah, 17. I'm sorry. Yep, yep. I wrote the long. Thank you, Dean. Look there, Luke chapter 17. Look at verse number 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. For they did eat. So in other words, what's happening here is life is just normal. It's just simply they're going about their things. They're eating. Look what else. They, look what else it says. And they drank. They married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat. Things are just going along normal. It's just a normal day of life. They drank, the Bible says. They bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. This, again, is what Paul is speaking about. He's speaking about the day of the Lord and its sudden expectation that's going to come upon those who are just simply living their lives, going along like, hey, it's just normal. Again, we can spit in God's face as much as we want, however we want, and it isn't going to matter. Life is just going to go on as normal. Brethren, no, it's not. There's coming a day, the Lord's day. Man's day is almost over, brethren. The Lord's day is coming. And it is indeed going to be filled with his judgment in these things. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3, I'll just give you the verse, verses 3 through 7. He again reiterates, again, the inspired commentary on this. He, he reiterates that they, they, they basically mocked God. They mocked it. Where is this coming that you keep talking about? It goes, then the Bible says what there? Things are just going on as they have from the beginning. And again, just a normal everyday kind of life, living in rebellion against God until that day comes suddenly upon them. Right up to the moment of disaster, brethren, listen, while the unregenerate repeat their slogan, peace and safety, destruction, ruin will come upon them suddenly as a woman and labor pains surveil upon a woman. The idea there is succinctly and assuredly just as a woman is with child, and when she gets close, she starts having these labor pains. There's no escaping it. In other words, is what he's saying. He's using, again, language that we can all certainly understand. But you look at verse number four now. He addresses the lost. Then he turns here in verse number four, 1 Thessalonians chapter five. Look at verse number four. And again, we've seen the distinction. He makes that distinction. He's been talking about those who are sleeping, those who are drunk in the night, those who are not for one second even giving the Lord a thought about his coming. Again, isn't it funny how in today's world, even in today's world, people think the coming of the Lord is an unimportant doctrine. It is not an unimportant doctrine. It is a central doctrine to the Bible, to what Paul preached, to what the apostles preached, and it should be central to what we believe. And what we consider when we look and understand it. Look at verse number 4. Look what he says. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, 
that the day should overtake you as a thief. Paul here, again, as we've said, he, he, he makes this stark contrast between his elect and those who are lost. The day of the Lord, he says, Paul, will not overtake the true believer like a thief in the night. Why? Again, why is that? Here, brethren, is, again, the practical working out of this text. And again, I know we always say, well, how do I apply that? Well, we're going to look. Paul applies this through the power of the Holy Spirit as he's writing this to the brethren. Why is it not going to come as a thief in the night to you and I if we are true believers? He just lays it right out there. He lays it right out there, brethren. Look there if you would. Look at verse number 5. Verse number 5 tells us first what we are. And verse number 5 also tells us what we're not. What we are. Look at verse 5. Ye are children of light and children of the day. We are not of the dark or of the night nor of the darkness. So you see that he tells us who we are and then he tells us who we're not. That's the distinguishing mark between a true believer and one who is not. One who is of the light. That's our spiritual condition before God. You understand that. One who is a child of the light is a child of God. That's our spiritual condition as we stand before God. What we are not is of the night, the darkness, the lost. That's their spiritual condition. Look at verse 6. What we are and what we're not. Then also in verse 6, he tells us what we are to do and what we're not to do. Isn't this great? Here's who we are. Who's who, here's who we're not. Here's what we're supposed to do. Here's what we're not supposed to do. Again, I often think God never tells us not to do something and then doesn't in place put in place of what we are supposed to do. It's whether the Spirit of God is working in your heart, causing you to do that. That's where the application comes. It must come that way. Here's what we are uh, not to do. Look at verse number 6. Verse number 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. That's what we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to sleep. Well, does that mean taking a nap? Well, we all sleep. We all take naps. No, of course, he's talking about our spiritual condition. Again, what we should be doing spiritually. We are not to be sleeping. We are not to be lackadaisical. We're not to be, uh, if you will, just lethargic about these spiritual things. This is the thing, but this is what's happened. Apathy, laziness, lethargic. We just be, have we become fat and happy. Paul says, no, that's when we get in trouble. That's when they got a man or a woman gets in trouble spiritually, when we neglect these things. Do not, he says. We are not to sleep. Our spiritual condition, brethren, should never be marked by, as I called it, a spiritual siesta. In other words, inactivity. Inactivity. We should always be growing in the Lord. Thirty-five or six years now, since the Lord saved me. And brothers, it still must be an ongoing and ongoing something that continues until the Lord either comes or he takes you and you have your last breath. This is what the true believer should be doing. Well, we're not to sleep. What are we to do? Look at verse 6 again. He answers that for us. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, but let us what? Watch. 
Do you see, brothers and sisters, look, this isn't difficult. We have a tendency to make it difficult, <laughs> but it's not difficult. We are to watch. What does that mean? What does that word watch mean? It means to, if you will, a forbearance of sleep, of spiritual sleep. <laughs> Again, we are not to be stagnant. We are not to be going backwards. We are to be watching. It is a forbearance of spiritual sleep. Brothers. Then he says in verse 6 also, look there. He says, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be what? Sober. Let us watch and be sober. Let us be serious. Let us be habitually temperate, righteous, and godly. That's what we should be doing, brother. And again, these are the things that will keep us as we are waiting. And brother, I am waiting for him. Are you waiting for him? Amen. I am waiting for him to come. And therefore, I've been given instruction. This is what I should be doing. Watching. Be sober. I shouldn't be sleeping spiritually. I should be awake. I should be exercising what? As Paul told Timothy, you exercise more and more unto what? Godliness. As I said, 30 some odd years, and I'm still battling and struggling, and, and, and growing in the Lord. It does not end. This is what Paul's warning them against. Don't sleep. Don't do that. This is what you are to be sober, habitually temperate, righteous, and godly. Look at verse number 8. Again, another glorious command he gives us. He says, but let us who are of the day, again, that's spiritually part of God's family, the light of God, but let us who are of the day be sober. He tells us to do that again. But then he says this, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. And again, brethren, you notice the action verbs here. These are all things the Spirit of God generates in the true believer. He says we are to put on the breastplate of faith and love. Well, if you look in Scripture, faith and love, of course, are Siamese twins that are tied all through the, the pages of Holy Writ. Faith and love. How we should treat one another. All of those things. And that breastplate, of course, represents, uh, that covers the vital organs. No soldier would ever go to battle without having his vital organs covered. And this is exactly what he's using. He's using soldier military terminology. Put on the breastplate of faith and love. No soldier would do that. And then he says, the helmet. The helmet of the hope of salvation. The helmet protects one's head, obviously. Hope here, as Paul uses it, isn't used in a sense of wishful thinking. Brethren, we are not sitting here this morning as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, hoping in a sense that, by I hope it happens. I sure hope it comes to pass. No, it is a sure guarantee. This is what he's talking about. This helmet that you put on. This helmet of hope of salvation. It's not wishful thinking. It's in the sense of confident expectation of God's hand in the future. Now listen to what he does in verses 9 and 10. This again is a glorious thing. He lays all of this out. We are children of the light. We are not children of the dark. We are to watch. We are to be not sleep. We are to be sober. We're to put on the breastplate of faith and love. 
the helmet of the hope of salvation. Again, you know this is familiar. In Ephesians, Paul wrote the same thing, the military armor to protect the true believer. And look at verses 9 and 10. All of it is based on the foundation of 9 and 10. And again, we as Bible believers know this and understand this. Look there, if you would, at verse number 9. For God hath not appointed us. There's that distinction in the terminology again. They and them, us and we. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 10. Who died for us. There it is again. That distinction that he makes. Who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And again, brethren, we are not all the beloved. Paul makes a distinction here between the elect and the lost. Clearly, that is what he's doing. Now, brother, let me just say this. This is the glorious thing about it. Before we had the hope of salvation, Paul says that we had an appointment to wrath. You understand that, right? That every man, woman, child who's ever born is born in Adam. He is your federal head. He is your representative because of what he did. He placed all of us with an appointment for wrath. However, <laughs> brothers, the glorious thing of the gospel is a glorious thing. Can I say that again? We were born in Adam. And second of all, the reason we had an appointment with wrath is because of our own sinfulness, our own disobedience to God. Those two things sealed that appointment. And I want you to see this. Look at Romans chapter 5. Look there if you would. Look at Romans chapter 5. And again, it's that old saying, there's a lot of bad news before the good news comes. Amen? And this is what Paul is saying to them. Look there if you would, Romans chapter 5. Look at verse number 12. Paul writes, Wherefore, as by one man sinned into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was, where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. He's enlightened. He's grabbing all of us into it. We're all being drawn into it. All of us. Who is the figure of him that was to come. But look what he says there in verse 15. But not as the office, so also is the free gift. For through the offense of, of, of the one, many be dead. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. It's an amazing thing when you consider this. The sovereignty of God and His working throughout all of time, all of history, drawing men, drawing men out to Himself. These men who have been disobedient, who have been enemies of God. If you, go, if you go back further in the text, you'll see we're called enemies of God. We are called all of these things. We're disobedient. And God in His grace draws those men and women and children. Let me just say, all of the elect... He draws them to himself. The Spirit regenerates that lost one and seals them and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. What a glorious thing. This is what Paul, he's, he ends this text with just a glorious thing. When Jesus died on the cross, brother, and you have to understand this, he stood in our place. He, 
He stood in our place in our appointment to wrath, and if you will, like I worded it, he rescheduled us with an appointment to obtain salvation. He stood in our place where we were to be, and he rescheduled for us because the Father is so gracious and loving. He scheduled, as Paul says here, not an appointment unto wrath, but unto salvation. What a glorious thing we see in our text. It's so deep, brother, and there's so much here. So much time could be spent delving deep down into each one of these texts. But let me close with a, if you will, a practical point. Brethren, we look at our own nation. Just take a look. We used to sing that song. (laughs) We're the home of the brave and land of the free. What have we become? We're no longer that. We're the home of the enslaved and the home of the afraid. Think of that for a moment. It's amazing to consider that. All doubt has been removed. If you don't think so, then you're just not reading your Bible very closely. All doubt has been removed that God's wrath has come against our own nation. There is no question about that. The case has been building for years. Brethren, this has been going on for years. It's just now really coming to a head. The slide of our society into depravity is following the pattern set in Romans chapter 1, and it is indeed unfolding before us. We have fallen and slumped so far. We've slid so far away as a nation from God that our politicians, our social people, quote-unquote, and many churches can't even now say whether you are a man or a woman. We have slumped and fallen so far. We've come to that now. Against everything holy, everything godly, everything good. It's an amazing thing. We have leaders of our nation, as John Calvin said, he gives us wicked rulers when he brings judgment against a nation. We have people, our leaders, that can't even talk. Republicans, Democrats, both. They walk up to the microphone. <laughs> They're stumbling baboons. Stumbling in the dark, stumbling in the night. It's an amazing thing to behold. And Paul, of course, is telling us that the day of the Lord is coming, and it is. There is no question about it. He absolutely, and it absolutely is. And brethren, these people now who can't tell the difference, or will not tell the difference, of the God-given physical and psychological differences between men and women, let me tell you what they're saying. Right up to the moment of disaster. Right up until the moment of disaster. And brothers, it's coming. I mean, here we are now, our own nation is trying to figure out whether we could operate for 45 more days or not. I mean, I don't know about you, that doesn't sound like very sound footing to me. Our own nation has spit in the face of God over and over again. And it will indeed come to a miserable end if he doesn't send repentance. It will. And brethren, right up until the moment of disaster, while they all 
repeat their slogan, peace and safety. Destruction, ruin will come upon us suddenly. This is why, brethren, we must indeed be ready. We must not be of the darkness. We must not be of that ilk, the lost. We must be those who are of the day, those who are of the light, those who are watching, those who are sober, those who are waiting not for a nation to be regenerated, but for a Christ to come for his church. That's what a true believer should be doing. We should be doing here in our text exactly what Paul told the Thessalonians who thought he was coming before any of them died. He's telling them in real time, these are the things we should be doing. And you remember, we addressed that. They thought that Jesus was coming before any of them even died. That's why they were concerned. You remember last week? That's why they were concerned about the loved ones who died. What happened to them? They're going to miss the catching away. They're going to miss the Lord Jesus coming. And Paul says, no, 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 no. They're going to be first, actually. That's the order. That's what we should be looking for. Do we work until he comes? Yes. Is it completely and totally, I mean, am I up here just being a total, uh, shall we say, you know, Debbie Downer? No. Because our trust and hope isn't in America. It's not. I pray yours isn't. I pray it's in a Savior who died for you and took your place. Yep, that's our hope. That's what we have. This is what we should be. Let's pray together. Father, we again thank you for your word. Thank you for your glorious timing, your your glorious truth as it is revealed there. We thank you for the whole counsel of God, all the counsel of God. Not only do we see your perfect and glorious love and grace that you've given unto your people, but we do indeed see also your glorious and perfect justice and wrath that will come. And Father, we thank you for those of us who are saved in this room that you would be so gracious and kind to us, that you would draw us, that the Holy Spirit would regenerate us, that he would take our minds that are at enmity with you and that heart that was a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, that we might indeed believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. All the glory, all the praise is yours. And Father, we pray for the lost sheep, those who are yet to come to Christ. We pray for them, Father, that maybe today will be the day, but your timing is perfect. We pray for them. Father, we ask now as we gather around the Lord's table that we will, again, be reminded of why we do it. We are indeed there watching. We are sober-minded. We are serious. And we're waiting for you to come. You're not going to come as a thief in the night to us. We're going to be watching and waiting and ready, prepared. Children of the light, children who have been brought back from the dead to walk again in the newness of life by your power. Father, we thank you now and pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen.